Hello, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, is what that stands for. Um, and it's the part of NARC Troopers. NARC Troopers is the name of my uh, website, my um, business that I have, publishing articles, podcasts, YouTube video vlogs, Instagram reels and shorts, TikTok videos, you name it. I have some courses. I do sessions with uh, consulting, all kinds of stuff. And it's narc troopers is um, we're troopers because we're soldiers and warriors marching onwards through our recovery. And it's narcissistic abuse recovery collaborators means I collab with a lot of different people. I collab with uh, mental health professionals and doctors and psychologists and um, academics and all kinds of people who um, kind of help us shed light on this horrible thing <laughs> that we're going through. So if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you're probably um, either know someone who is a victim of narcissistic abuse or you yourself are in recovery from that. And today we're going to talk about how attachment styles impact trauma recovery. Because we all know, I know you've heard about attachment styles. That's nothing new. Uh, but we're going to talk about when you have trauma, either long-term complex trauma from like years and years through your childhood and stuff, but also the kind of trauma that happens um, in these relationships with the narcissist or the psychopath or the sociopath and um, sometimes they're more short-lived but nonetheless they are pretty damaging so all people discover if they can depend on others to keep them safe or not um, and this all begins at a very early age right when you're little your nervous system either grows with the idea that you're inherently intrinsically lovable and protected or it drives you to learn coping mechanisms to deal with emotional pain and danger if you don't feel validated accepted or safe safety is really a big deal with me I, I i operate all these years from a place of not feeling safe um from feeling disconnected little bit dissociated outside the you know belonging and um, outside having my um, tribe or support group or family whatever you want to call so safety is huge um, much more of a big deal than you would think um, but um, you know these first emotions uh, in response to whatever the environment is you know that that shapes us it affects our entire life uh, since you know we have to carry these foundational beliefs in our minds in our bodies our nervous system and of course our emotions attachment styles form in childhood and act as a model for navigating life and relationships in adulthood Secure attachment teaches your nervous system how to regulate itself by understanding what healthy behavior and relationships look like. Hopefully, 
you're going to learn that you're never really alone and you can weather any storm of emotions and still feel secure and confident. You feel okay. You feel safe. Um, and then some of us didn't get that, you know, um, attachment styles are, uh, categories. They're, they're categories for different degrees of emotional security and safety in your relationships from the very beginning until now. They have an impact on how you respond to all the negative stimuli that is around you, which is an inevitable part of life, right? You're always going to have things, you know, kick you in the seat of the pants, knock you down, punch you in the face, whatever. And um, so how you react to that, you know, um, your response to it, it it's you know, um, kind of reflects what your attachment styles are. And that also includes trauma, by the way, um, how you respond to trauma. The ability to regulate your emotions is not just baked in. It's taught. It's learned in your earliest relationships. It's ingrained throughout your childhood and it's practiced throughout life. A person who doesn't have a secure attachment style where they have always felt seen and heard and validated by their inner circle is more likely to have difficulty recovering from trauma or grief. Well, of course, they're going to have more difficult because when trauma or grief comes, it just shakes them to the core and they feel so unsafe. They don't have the underpinnings. They don't have the foundational uh, structure to deal with it. Um, they don't know how to uh, navigate that. So um, several researchers uh, recently explored the relationship between post-traumatic recovery and attachment style. And most of us coming out of relationships with a narcissist or a cluster B person, um, we are um, uh, we, we're having this post-traumatic recovery and these, these researchers, the two studies suggest that a higher level of attachment avoidance was related to lower post-traumatic growth in individuals who suffered from life-threatening trauma or life-altering loss. So when you go through something that is like, um, huge, like what you have gone through with the narcissist or psychopath, something that is that transformationally life-changingly horrific. When you go through something that is that life altering and traumatic, um, they, the studies say that if you have, um, a higher level of attachment avoidance, uh, it was related to lower post-traumatic growth and recovery. Okay. Um, we need to absorb that statement. Um, many times these individuals with attachment styles that are not optimally like healthy or whatever, um, it doesn't prepare them to emotionally regulate through life's trials and tribulations, vicissitudes, all that stuff, you know, life is cruel sometimes. And if you don't have, um, 
you know, you're having, you don't have healthy attachment styles, you're going to have a hard time when the hard times come. Um, and certainly not, um, you know, you're not going to know how to deal with narcissistic abuse because that's like the top of every, that's like the worst thing um, that can happen in, in many ways as far as suffering loss or abuse or something like that. Um, and, you know, I don't mean to offend anybody by saying it's the worst, but, um, you know, it's worse than losing a parent or a child or a family member because it is like losing your mother. It's like losing your child. It's like losing yourself. It, it's like losing all of that all at once simultaneously. Um, so unless your whole family got wiped out at all at the same time and you were mortally wounded and in a way that you're never going to recover, ever um you're gonna be um not okay unless that happened then really narcissistic abuse ranks up there it's just like it's it's more difficult because it, you lose so many different um parts of of your um <laughs> see i'm having trouble figuring out how to say this because you lose like the parent, the child, and yourself all at once. Like I just said, I, I can't think of another way to say that. And, um, but that's true. You're, you're losing multiple um, things and it's just too much. Um, you know, you struggle to heal because the invalidation and objectification and other mistreatment from the narcissist tends to confirm your fears and doubts and it makes you feel unseen and unheard all over again which reckons back to infancy when you were not seen or heard um so it's almost like the abusive treatment by the narcissist acts as proof of your worst fears you know you feel insecure threatened undeserving to blame maybe culpable unable to control your emotions and that just crumble after a relationship with one of these kinds of people only about 60 percent of adults have secure attachment styles that means 40 percent don't and so when these bad things happen um they are not equipped to um get through it the other 40 percent um they they fall into one of these attachment styles they're either avoidant or they're anxious slash insecure so let's talk about those avoidant attachment style has a tendency to mistrust others motives for what they're doing and their goodwill and thus they attempt to maintain emotional distance in relationships they differ from the fearful avoidant attachment style because they do not desire attachment while the disorganized one does the ancient the anxious insecure attachment style tends to be dependent on their relationships 
constantly worrying that others will be unavailable or abandon them in situations of need and they carry a lot of anxiety and fear high anxiety and fear and you know a lot of times i would say um it's the codependent borderline person or or and or borderline and codependent who have the anxious insecure attachment um and it more times than not it is the um narcissist psychopath who has more of a avoidant attachment and you know it goes beyond that yeah they have avoid avoidant attachment they also have something called flat attachment because they don't attach at all not at all not even at all a little bit nothing like there's no attachment so um and that's called flat attachment and and that's that's what is, is characterized by those disorders or those disorders are characterized by flat attachment so um let's talk about secure attachment secure attachment results from children having a loving connection with their caregivers which helps them apply it to others in order to form healthy relationships you know they they copy it they absorb that ingrain that and then that becomes their template yeah it's like a, a template that they use to fill in for themselves as, as they become adults this attachment style does not lead to fear of abandonment and makes people unafraid to connect with others this is the attachment style we all wish we had but we cannot because of whatever happened in early childhood that that interrupted our healthy development narcissists have an avoidant attachment style in addition to the flat attachment style and most people who are strongly affected by a narcissist are of the ancient anxious <laughs> anxious, anxious attachment style uh, and both are likely to have experienced trauma and abuse that prevents them from having healthy attachment styles now there is much discussion about the ways that trauma shapes attachment um, but but how do attachment styles impact recovery from trauma and grief that is the question of the day okay so except for trauma care that is caused by natural disasters all trauma happens in relationships trauma is a relationship wound and your attachment style highly affects your ability to recover from it from the trauma in all of the insecure attachment styles the ability to regulate emotion never got developed the ability to handle uh, life's losses disappointments and change are encoded in the nervous system only in only in secure um, attachment styles if you have this insecure attachment style and traumatic experience happens there's no mechanism in place from a secure attachment to resolve it that's why those who um, those with insecure attachment often resort to self-destructive self-harming self-trashing uh, strategies to cope with life's um, difficulties and setbacks 
There are simple, they are simply lacking the ingrained inherent core programming that provides them the tools to cope. Um, and I will go on to say that a vast number of people who become entangled with individuals who have NPD, sociopathy or psychopathy, probably have insecure attachment, just as their predatory disordered partner also has unhealthy ones. Uh, both cannot fill their cups from the inside. That's what they have in common. And both must seek external sources to make them feel whole and human. They can't generate it or manufacture it from within. They have to look outside to external sources to provide that. Both are lacking these, these things um, in their core that um, allow them to navigate, navigate life smoothly. Take away their external source of validation and all cluster B disordered people fall apart. This includes borderlines and histrionics as well, who are also share that cluster B designation. Now, different um, categories of ailments in cluster B have a different prognosis. Some of them are somewhat treatable. Some of them sort of dissipate as they reach middle age. Some of them uh, resolve in other ways through some cognitive behavioral therapy or through some whatever, something that a lot of hard work. But the narcissists, um, the psychopath and the sociopath do not have these positive outcomes at all. They cannot seem to do better, be better, do different, be different. They just, I mean, it is it, it, what it is. They are what they are. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people say that dialectical behavioral therapy and things like um, emotions fo focused therapy, which is EFT, work well in helping clients learn to self-validate and feel whole without, you know, looking outside themselves externally all the time. Somatic therapies that deal with the body, that's what somatic means, that is physical body, um, address trauma that can be held in the, in the body and, and can be also very powerful. EMDR, eye movement desynthesization and processing, uh, it works for a lot of people and creative therapies with art, music, movement, all that kind of stuff, dance. Uh, dance, it's an effective choice to try. You can also look at energy work through grounding, meditation, breath work, pranic healing, Reiki, and all different other kinds of stuff to give you some relief. So it's a smorgasbord, yep, of different things that you can do to try to build up your ability to self-validate and to fill yourself up from the inside instead of trying to look for somebody else to do it and then assuming a position of learned helplessness and dependency upon that person who is feeding off of you. So it's important to try new modalities for treatments and you know a treatment plan with a team of providers and professionals can help. I don't think it's a one-man job or one-woman job group therapy with others has you know who've also been through the same thing and experienced trauma uh and who are in recovery you speak the same language and that can be tremendously supportive in ways that other people they they can't do it they can't be 
that person because they don't understand what you're experiencing. They don't even really believe that it's really happening that way. Um, they, they just don't get it. So, you know, eventually through trial and error, you develop your healing portfolio with the things that work. And when you practice them daily, you um, get results. So like all things you choose to pursue for self-improvement, you have to just remember to stick with it. And if you have an off day, show yourself some compassion and grace, and then just get right back into the saddle and soldier on. Most mental health professionals agree that attachment styles can be modified to a large degree. Just because you have a certain kind right now doesn't mean you're going to have to live and die that way. Um, you can learn how to create boundaries, create safe space, self-advocacy, all of these things you can learn to do that can change um, your attachment style. You learn to survive and not let your, let's say, insecure attachment or other issues impede your ability to design a life that's complete and wholesome and happy. You know, we all deserve peace and peace of mind. For some, it's just a lot harder to get to that place because of the things that have happened and how we have been programmed and scripted from a young age to be a certain way. I want to tell you this in conclusion. I read this great book, and this is just a random thought. Stream of Consciousness, guys. Um, Eric Byrne. Uh, I don't know if any of you are as old as I am. Um, but he was popular in the 70s and 80s, late 70s and 80s, and he wrote uh, a book called The Games People Play. And, um, you know, he, he, I just thought it was a brilliant book. It was one of the first psychology books that, that I read that really resonated with me. And, um, you know, I think that some of the things that he offers about different personality styles and how we deal with things was very illuminating. And um, so we can change how we react to things, you know, and um, we can adapt and evolve and learn, learn different ways to have interpersonal relationships that are real and not dysfunctional and toxic and crazy. Um, and so, yeah, I want to put that uh, on your radar. Eric Byrne, one of his contemporaries, Claude Steiner, wrote a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And he was sort of like one of the fathers of transactional analysis, which essentially has been reinvented multiple times since the 70s. When he first talked about it, he had this PAC kind of uh, Venn diagram thing where he talked about parent, adult, and child and how we function in these different ego states. Well, let's remember something. The narcissist is all id and has no ego, no self, no identity. He's all or she is all id. You should look into that. It's a little bit of a departure from your standard um, lectures and, and explanations about narcissism, but it's really interesting to uh, look at that because we do play different roles. Like they talk about the persecutor, the rescuer, and the victim. Both Byrne and Steiner talked about that a lot in the 70s and early 80s. Um, 
and the parent, adult, and child uh, roles that we play. And, you know, we use that in discussing narcissism because we play the parent to each other, um, right? We parentify. The, the narcissist becomes your mother and you become their mother. And y'all are parenting each other mutually at the same time in that shared fantasy. So a lot of the concepts that um, and the language comes from those, those 1970s books on transactional analysis and uh, the roles people play, the games people play, and all of that kind of stuff. Such great books. And, um, you know, that kind of lit the fire for me back in the 70s to be studying psychology and getting a degree in um, guidance, counseling, you know, those kinds of fields to try to, you know, figure out what makes people tick. And this was before I became uh, focused on just the niche area of narcissistic abuse recovery, because that's, you know, guys, that's, that's all I do now is narcissistic abuse recovery. Uh, all the other things I've studied, things that I have been trained to do, know to do, know about, have sort of fallen away. And all of my energy, all of my focus, 110% is just on narcissistic abuse recovery. Because it is so misunderstood. It is, there's so much misinformation and disinformation out there. Um, it's mind boggling how much stuff is just floating around on social media that is simply not true. And I have even heard, I've even read a couple of doctors that have posted online and what they have said is simply not true. There's just, they, it, you know, I don't know whether it's something that they need to have as a lived experience in order to understand it, or if they just never went to narcissistic, um, disorder like in-depth studies or, or I don't know some of them say they're trained I don't think so or if they were trained I don't know who trained them because they have some wrong information you know my one go-to person <laughs> and I just you know I hate to keep bringing them up but it's Dr. Sam Vaknin you know I don't think he's ever uh <laughs> said anything in any of his lectures that wasn't uh, researched and thoroughly vetted um, the people saying it and and studied and researched again and published and quoted and like you know he knows what he's talking about and I have never caught him putting anything out there that was not a hundred and ten percent true that is my go-to place to find expert understanding, deep, deep understanding of what is narcissistic personality disorder, what is a cluster B dark triad, what happens to the people that are involved, that are enmeshed, that are entrained by these cluster B people. And he's, he's the authority. He's, he's your man. And, um, he, he, if you listen to one video a day for like a year, you're going to be, it's going to give you like so much power, uh, little Pac-Man pellets, ammunition, whatever you want to call it. You're going to, it's going to, it's, it's like, um, feeding you 
knowledge to help you be able to stand up and fight back and understand what it is that has happened to you and what it is that you can do about it to move on. Yep. Uh, so that's how I want to end today. Uh, obviously attachment styles. I probably haven't, didn't really talk about anything new. You knew already probably about, uh, healthy ones, um, and anxious ones and, you know, all the different kinds of attachment styles. But I just want to say that there's an, there's a connectivity, an interplay, a relationship between attachment styles and how we are able to recover and the narcissist has flat attachment and uh, we as codependent people probably i'm gonna guess that the vast majority of people at this point uh realize that they may have some codependency where they wouldn't have ended up in this boat in the first place um you know we have um uh insecure uh anxious abandonment issue kind of attachment styles i would i don't know the number on that so i'm not going to just throw something out there but it's a lot and i believe i i'm quite certain it's the majority i'm sure it's not everyone of course it's not everyone um what what things are absolute really but it's the majority and that's what counts so let's learn it let's live it let's get through this troopers and i will talk to you again soon thank you so much for being here and let's spread the word guys and spread the truth use your voice Love you. Bye. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. 